Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed, and this particular episode is one of our deep dives, our Bakta tank of talk. Come swim around with us. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm Ken Absock. The squigglies are squiggling around, and we're going to swim. <laughs> that is right. Uh, are we the squigglies, Ken? Are we, are we being hunted, fished? 
that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Gooey and Freedy. Two, two see two of us. Yes. Yeah, that that's the normal sporting term, right? Being fished at. That's <laughs> how one talks about fishing. Anyway, uh, we will be more eloquent about Star Wars than I can be about fishing. As always, we want to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, we're recommending Padawan by Kirsten White. We're going to be reviewing and discussing it soon, and then we will move on to recommending lots of other great Star Wars books that have come out recently. In particular, The High Republic back in action, and soon, uh, hopefully, we will be devouring those as well. If you want to download an audiobook of Padawan or those High Republic books, you can go to audibletrial.com slash center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash center for a free audiobook. But wait, we have more things to say. We have our new segment, Asking. Uh, do you have a better title for our new segment, Ken? Force Center asks is uh, is seems to be our traditional way of approaching <laughs> titles. Force Center in front of it, and it's a uh, it's an ask that's been updated thanks to all of you out there in our Force Center community. We've been asking to uh, help us uh, grow our YouTube presence. If you uh, you would find it in your heart to, and want to join that kind of uh, quest, uh, we asked for six thousand five hundred subscribers, and happy to report that of the morning of this recording, we've passed that. And are moving past it. So we're going to be bold. We're going to be brave. Fortune favors the brave, especially on YouTube. We are going to ask uh, if you want to subscribe to our YouTube channel where some uh, podcasts rebroadcast, but also some additional new contents on the way, our live Q&As, all that kind of wonderful stuff. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit that notification bell and help us reach 7,000 subscribers. It's a fourth center ask. Can we get up? to the next big number. Thanks to all of those who have subscribed so far. We really appreciate the support. So, Joseph, uh, that's our Force Center ask. Dun, dun, dun. We'll get Tony Jackson to do some music. It is uh, so well done. I want to call a toll-free number to get a tote bag. You did that very well and brought me back to my PBS days of uh, of watching yeah. the those, uh, those uh, mentions, those requests, those asks in the middle of a Doctor Who episode. Yes. Yes, or the Sunday morning movie. Uh, you know, this is random. I, this is pop my head. I mentioned Tony Thaxton's name. Uh, maybe we don't mention his name as much. Someone on YouTube this morning actually asked who, if it was us doing the theme music or what's going <laughs> on. And we want to shout out the great Tony Thaxton who does all of our uh, Four Center original theme music uh, from Happy Beeps to the main show, the new show, uh, the databank brawl end theme, which is a, a, a rock track that needs to be released as a single in its own right. And uh, Tony Thaxton is great. He's a drummer from Motion City Soundtrack. He has his own uh, wonderful podcast. Check out Bizarre Albums. But yeah, I thought about the day because we haven't mentioned his name in a while. And we have a lot of new listeners who have popped on the last year or so. So thank you, Tony, for making us sound so good. Yeah, huge shout out to Tony, and I believe you can find it probably just by Googling Tony Thaxton in Star Wars. He also has a great album of uh, weird Star Wars mm-hmm. songs, just just singing the praises, literally, <laughs> of different weird Star Wars characters. Yeah. So be sure to check that out as well. Uh, very good call, Candace. Shout out good old Tony Thaxton. Uh, we are done with all of our intro business, which means we can dive into our main topic for the day. And... Uh, kind of thinking of this uh, episode as loving the fantasy side of Star Wars. We're going to talk about the value of the fantastic, the strange, the pulpy, the sort of genre stew of Star Wars. Everything from lightsabers to aliens to robots to evil tree caves to hungry mouths that just happen to live in the desert and beyond. Uh, We want to talk about why we feel that they're not something to be kind of... um, distracted by, (laughs) endured, looked past, but actually 
a vital part of the Star Wars magic. So we are definitely going to celebrate what we love about this sort of fantastic side of Star Wars. Uh, but but we also want to be honest, some of this conversation is coming up because of some of the, the discourse around Andor. Uh, this episode, and none of our episodes, is a dig on the actual television show Andor. We loved Andor, and we love that so many people loved it. A small amount of people uh, in in social media discourse and and reviews uh, kind of were real negative about the more fantas- fantastic aspects mm-hmm. of Star Wars in praise of everything that is wonderful about Andor. Mm-hmm. And that just got me. Uh, obviously, we talked about on uh, our breakdown of Andor season one that 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 really raised our hackles, uh, you know, the the disparaging the fantastic side of Star Wars. Uh, but it also made us think that we should just really spend an episode celebrating why it's important, why we love the fantastic in the weird in Star Wars. Uh, Ken, do you have any thoughts to that just sort of uh, perspective of this episode? Yeah, this is one of those things where, yeah, the, there's definitely this discourse. We addressed it in a, in a bigger way on, on the show this week on the recap. But it also it causes me to ask, like, all right, cool. Well, what what do I love about that other side of it? What do I want to celebrate and how do I engage with it? Because that's been a weird journey for me over the years. I'm part of that generation that sat in the theater in 1999 and went too magical. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've, I've changed. In fact, we're discussing some things that I list today that uh, I even on the force center used to be kind of uh, putting my fist down. Also, I have some stuff in here that's a defense of Andor and different styles in Star Wars. So it's all part of the fun, but in, in, in a traditional force center fashion, I'm excited to focus on those things that do crossover into fantasy and magic and just plain weirdness yeah yeah it's kind of a a a big catch-all for the the genre side of star wars and i think that's one of the really fun things about star wars Uh, i'm using the phrase genre stew Uh, all these different ingredients are thrown in there and i think that's a natural part of it for fans to have different opinions about whoa this stew has too much of this ingredient yeah yeah. (laughs) back off on the cinnamon cinnamon doesn't really belong in this stew does it and other people like man Give me as much cinnamon as possible. And I think that is part of what can be fun about the discussion of Star Wars. So with that spirit in mind, a spirit of, is that too much cinnamon? Uh, We are going to dive into this discussion. Ken, what do you think of first when you try to capture the weird or fantastic side of Star Wars? So here's what I did. Here's my exercise. Show them work on this. I literally sat down, I had my laptop open, and this question, your first question comes up here for me. And I, instead of trying to go deep or profound, I was like, let me just close my eyes. And I literally said, what, when I think of this, or I read this question myself, what pops to my mind? And I, here's where I went. I think of the Rancor. I think of Jabba the Hutt. I think of the Starlight Pit. I think of a hero swashbuckling through it all because that's what pulled me into Star Wars. That was the first big thing, both in the trailer both in sitting down and Return of the Jedi and the battle on Endor, the ships, the the X-Wings, the Y-Wings, all that stuff that kind of slid in, maybe even to the pole position, some of my rankings as a youngster. It was this magical, what is going on? I'm terrified of the Rancor. I think I'm terrified of Jabba. Uh, (laughs) There's a hole in the ground, like you said earlier, whether you add in the special edition version or not, it's kind of the same thing. And it was just kind of this, Weird, but fantastic. In the middle of it all, one of my favorite things as a child was Luke dropping off the skiff and doing that flip back up. I tried to reenact that slowly, not by getting no air as a kid. That was, and I've written about this and I've talked about this, that opening sequence was the thing most reenacted on the playground for me and my friends. We had this weird old contraption built of wood and rusted metal. It was a different time in the 80s, kids, for school. And we played on that. And it was perfect for that sequence. 
And it has all these things, a weird monster, action, aliens, and, and you couldn't quite attach it to the real world. And I start, I start with that. That's what pulled me in. Then I go to other places like Dagobah. We just discussed that on Data Make Dive. Uh, I think even later on, the rocks revealing the Bendu. The rocks kind of suddenly, it's this big mm. Bendu creature. Uh, it's hard for me not to talk about Mortis, especially the first time, because Mortis and the visions and what was talked about was the first time I felt Clone Wars was speaking to me. And I'm a pew, pew, pew guy. And I became that later on. War over lore, all kind of stuff. But Mortis was the first time I was like, I maybe I haven't been digging deep into Clone Wars yet when this episode <laughs> dropped. And, and that it got to me because it was magical, not because it was clones fighting. Uh, and I, I even think of, of Luke Skywalker saying, something's alive in here and being pulled under the water by a Dianoga and how mystical, magical, and weird that was for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think your your key point that when you try to picture things, it's it's what drew you in as a kid because it was bizarre and different. And then as you as you get older and some of the bizarre and different becomes normalized, what sort of reshocks you back to the what is this perspective that you had as a kid? That sort of weird thing that makes you want to lean in and, and learn more <laughs> or maybe wants makes you want to lean away in, in the way a great horror thing does of like i am both attracted to and repulsed by the rancor <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah too scary too scary and yeah the absolute essential childhood that's so weird and cool i want to do it i know yeah. it's not physically safe for me to do it for many reasons but i want to try anyway that's what we like about it it's dangerous to children uh joking totally yeah. joking yeah. um i think for me when i think of you know, do I did your mental exercise as you were describing it because I I hadn't done that of okay, mm. just close my eyes. First first two things that pop in my head. First thing, absolutely lightsaber. It's just essential. Mm. It yeah, just yeah. you know, it, it uh we can joke about, you know, laser swords, but they have depth, they have meaning, but they also capture your imagination. You know, we are all Star Wars kids. Mm-hmm. Anybody who has uh, watched or even mildly enjoyed Star Wars at some point has picked something up long and cylindrical and pretended it's a lightsaber and made the whoosh-whoosh noises with your mouth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Strangely, here's the second thing <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that came into my head. Uh, the famous Star Wars character Megaloof. Um I think there's just something that captures that really bonkers, silly side of Star Wars is why it's popped into my head. Uh, the only reason I know Megaloof, Megaloof is a two-second background character in uh, Attack of the Clones, in the the chase when, when Kenobi is hanging off of the assassin droid, the courier droid. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason I know Megaloof's name is for some reason Megaloof has a prominent entry on the StarWars.com databank. And all the times I've been scrolling through there, I'd be like, Megaloof, who's that? It's the weird little alien in traffic who goes, ah! <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the whole thing, you know? Uh, but that it captures some of the weirdness of Star Wars that that character has a name and for some reason I know it. You know, mm-hmm. some days I forget how old I am, but I remember Megaloof. Yeah. Um, so those are the images that popped to my mind that that I think spread, right? Everything from the absolutely like silly bonkers meant to be comedy. It's a silly name. It's silly that I know it to like the depth and the meaning and the fun and the thrill of a lightsaber. All that to me is kind of under this sort of fantastic uh, umbrella. Um, and, and I, and I think uh, kind of going a little bit deeper, I think what is often, compelling is that 
so many of these things that we can list when you're trying to capture the weird or the fantastic side, everything from from Dagobah uh, to the Rancor, they are relatable to the real world. They are understandable. It's a sword or a car or a scary animal. But at the exact same time, it's strange. It's otherworldly. It's dreamlike. I think that's what really causes the lean in. I think that's one of the big powers of the fantastic things that feel both shockingly new and just fundamentally ancient, right? Uh, 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 human beings have had reason to be um, frightened of large animals that they have perhaps pissed off <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, for our entire existence. But we've never really seen a rancor. Not many of us have been dropped into a pit because we were trying to rescue our, <laughs> our our friend Captain Solo. You know, um, I think that's that's to me a little bit of a, a, a big, big power and, and big way I identify them. You know, lightsabers mm-hmm. are swords. The Falcon is a broken down hot rod. The swarm of Geonosians lurking in the dark cave feels like, hey, what if you fell into, you know, a, a, a bee's honeycomb, you know, yeah. all of a bee's hive, I guess. Um, all mm-hmm. of these things feel relatable, but also utterly bizarre at the same time. Yeah, well, well said. We, we, when we dive into why it's important, we'll, we'll explore that a little more, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, uh, just uh, you're even as you're talking about it, you're listing things that that I think I, I have become so normal for me as a Star Wars fan. Yeah, the Geonosian uh, Geonosian Hive, right? Is 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 totally fantastic, and it's totally and it stood out at the time. But it's just become wonderful wallpaper for me, which is also part of the magic too. When you're pulled into this world, when you're so used to the whoosh whoosh of a lightsaber. Uh, all all else almost seems normal, which I love. Yeah, yeah. And and maybe that can be a challenge sometimes if we get too used to some of these things. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. So let's let's dive into this idea. I'm going to say dive 8,000 times on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> why is the fantastic important to Star Wars? Why is it not something that needs to be looked past or endured, but something to absolutely be valued? Why is it important? Yeah, this is where... I wanted to maybe force myself to dig, dig a little deeper. So I, I don't mean to be ever uh, melodramatic or, or overdramatic at all with, with my thoughts on this, but it, it, it's tremendously important to not just Star Wars, but any kind of genre stuff. You and I were even discussing that with Jennifer earlier earlier in the week. And I, I, I think it pulls you away from your own world enough, right? It, it just helps you disconnect with the mundane and find the fantastic. And it's a trip, baby. And when I, I believe you can see yourself a little more clearly, it removes the obstacles to you connecting deeper. Meaning for me, what that means when I say that is you might watch a very realistic um, portrayal of say maybe a drama and it's set in an inner city, right? And you might get it, but you're going you're gonna to say, well, that's not me, right? I'm not, I'm not seeing my story here or you're watching something. I'm not an accountant that's a serial killer. So I'm not listening to what this story has to say to me. And you can get see it as a real world thing where in Star Wars, man, I picked up a lot of lessons by going, oh, I wish I was a space scoundrel. <laughs> There's no obstacles to me thinking this. I can dream this. Uh, or maybe I'm talking about maybe there's some important lessons for your life or maybe there's some inspirations to take from some of the other stories, whether it be an accountant who's a serial killer and maybe not, but an inner city drama or something like that. But there's probably other lessons and inspirational things in there that maybe you don't connect with it as much where in Star Wars – where we're, we're hopefully, hopefully all on equal footing where you can all dream to be the hero saving the day or the scoundrel or the, or the princess who's running the rebellion. And, and you can just kind of see it in a different light and, and then connect with it in that sort of way. And then on the flip side, it's the power of, of even creators, especially at times being able to address things 
kind of maybe behind a veil. You and I, uh, and Jennifer, were citing comic books. Uh, uh, you know, looking at uh, X Men being uh, coming out in the '60s and Civil Rights. That's a big one for me to look at, and and it was overlooked at the time. But they could get the story in. Maybe it wouldn't be otherwise. Star Trek. You mentioned Star Trek mm-hmm. as well, the original series. Kirk and Uhura. You know, we know um, this very important uh, pop culture but social moment of, of their kiss, and and perhaps no one was looking because it was Star Trek mm-hmm. on the network side you know we can't do that well it's in space uh and, and it's just a general way of looking at it of both the power and the and the importance as, as a fan i'm able to and always was able to be transported away and get the lessons without without maybe knowing i'm getting the real world lessons mm-hmm. yeah, yeah no i think that's i think that's really great i and i think you know it's something that lucas has talked about in in interviews whether it was you know, entirely front of his mind when he was making Star Wars or whether he kind of looked back and, and realized the power mm-hmm. of of what he had created. Um, however you choose to interpret uh, some of his interviews, I think there's an awareness that let's make this fun and exciting. Let's make this a world that you want to disappear into. And then when you are ready to hear the ideas, this will be a, a fun, exciting galaxy that you want to go to in your imagination mm-hmm. and then when you want to sink in and think about it and think like am i am i giving into the dark side you have a framework to think about that right yeah uh, I, am i uh you know i just did a did a rewatch of the wire earlier this year which mm-hmm. i absolutely love and you know very very different approaches but the wire is largely about a lot of times individuals mean the best toward one another, but they get caught up in structural dysfunction. They get caught up in personal greed of like, yeah, that, that'd be for the better for the big picture. But what would I lose? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the story that Star Wars is telling in, in the prequels of, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I, I think your point of Star Wars does handle big ideas, but it presents them to you in uh, fun, bizarre scary packages mm-hmm. but packages that make you especially younger people lean in and go i want to spend some time there and then the big question the big hope is can 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 and do people make that transition from mm-hmm. the the exciting shell uh, the exciting images and get into the big ideas and make them meaningful in their own lives yeah, this is a this is a general suite through this, and other people have written about it. We've mentioned it before, but the difference between Lucas and Kurtz finishing Star Wars and thinking they're going to race towards Apocalypse Now, there's a giant story as to why that didn't happen, and Copeland, all this kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Apocalypse Now is this uh, great cinematic masterpiece talk, discussed in film school. That's where I watched it first, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then the story behind it and the craziness behind it. Lucas goes off and and, and continues, uh, you know, uh, actually after American Graffiti, and then he goes and, and makes Star Wars. Um, he arguably again, am I being melodramatic? Maybe I am, Joseph. But he changes the world along with everyone else with Star Wars. Where Apocalypse Now, I don't think is viewed the same way. Inside cinema, it's different. And the ideas might be important or what is discussed. But I think that 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 difference. You're not getting rid of. You don't. I'm not saying get rid of Apocalypse Now. But I'm just. I'm so glad Lucas was, was like. You know, maybe I need to focus on the same ideas for a younger crowd. That's going to stick with them a lot longer. Maybe change hearts for a lot more. Um, for a lot more generations to come. Yeah, yeah, and and I think sometimes, obviously, for for some fans, uh, the fantastic, the weird, the silly is a distraction to those big ideas, and I think that's been a power of Andor that that we've talked about. That Andor is explicit; you can't miss these central ideas of Star Wars. Whereas in other Star Wars properties, eh, maybe sometimes people people miss them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of uh, what leads us to this conversation of yes. like, okay, then in the big picture, is the weird, the fantastic, the silly a distraction? And and to me, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, and for a couple of reasons why the fantastic is important. I love everything that you're saying about how it brings you into the ideas. I think one of the ways that it brings you into the ideas is making you feel them in in your gut. Um, not, I think pe- most people's first encounter with Star Wars is not to intellectualize it. It is to feel it. Yeah. Uh, it, I think some of the fantastic, specifically like fantasy ideas, um, make Star Wars feel timeless and ancient. Um, I might be extra partial to that because I think it was particularly the approach of the original trilogy down mm-hmm. to specific lines about things being, uh, dreamlike and, and literally ancient. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this feeling of like uh, evil wizards, <laughs> dark mm-hmm. forests, heroes, blades, you know, something more out there for you, you know, yeah. y- you know, y- your, your rogue scoundrel friend that you meet along the journey who can uh, make a better choice to, to help you out. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a leader who's lost their, their power, but is reclaiming it really in some ways with, with Leia being the, the princess of a dead world. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many of these ideas that are that are baked into lots of storytelling. Um, lots of it, you know, uh, Eurocentric, but certainly other places as well, mm. uh, in other ways. Uh, but it feels timeless and ancient. So I think that is a power of the fantastic that it makes it feel like it isn't just one to one. It's mm-hmm. not just talking about you know <laughs> this serial killer <laughs> in this accounting firm in the year 2021 or whatever. By the way, it I don't is. think there is an accounting serial killer movie. I'm just making it up in my head and there should be. Uh, I think there's an accounting hitman, right? That's Ben Affleck. And then, of course, Dexter is, you know, yeah. the serial killer with a day job. Anyway, we'll talk yeah. about those on a different podcast. My, my point is, I think it, it, it feels the fantastic makes it feel like these are problems that humans, us in the real life, in the real world, have always had. These are challenges we've always faced. And how are we going to face them this time? What do we need? What tools do we need to face them this time? Yeah. Um, so that's a big one for me. Uh, another huge one for me is just the value of imagination, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's appreciating the imagination of the creators. You, you talked about being drawn in by just the visuals, right? Just the sights yeah. and the sounds, the rancor and the lightsaber and Luke's cool flip. I could not agree with that more. I've talked about it a bunch, mm-hmm. but I feel like growing up in the eighties was growing up in a very beige world. Everything mm-hmm. was sad and boxy. And I can, you know, appreciate a lot of more of the television of the time now putting it as an adult and putting it in historical context, but just like, Everything was just like they're in cars and they're driving and now they're in their large beige suits having a conversation in a large beige room. And this is just almost sad. And then here's this explosion of ideas and monsters and heroes and spaceships and weird Mm -hmm. aliens. And it it just Star Wars made me feel alive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think there's the imagination that's on screen that's that's valuable. Mm-hmm. But then there's this big idea of what does translating the imagination that the creators have had to to build this fantastic world, what does it matter to 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 people, to young people watching it, right? Mm-hmm. It encourages imagination. I think you watch Star Wars and you go, what kind of monster would I make? What kind of planet that they've that has never been there before? 
can I imagine? What kind of, uh, you know, scary Sith Lord can I imagine? And some people sit down and draw it. Some people sit down and write it. Uh, when, when you and I were young, we played it with our action figures. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those discussion points that, that has come up a, a, around and or of, you know, um, Favreau and, and Filoni up to point have quotes about how the Mandalorian is inspired by their action figure play. Yeah. And I think people have maybe taken that in, in, out, out of context. And focused it on focused on action figure play is a sign of nostalgia or just being tied to your own youth or it is a sign of immaturity. We don't want big ideas. We just want to bash our action figures mm-hmm. together. And in out of context, I can see how people would would uh, receive it that way. Mm-hmm. But to me, what Favreau has been saying in the Mandalorian is the height of the value of the fantastic side of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. When when Favreau and people of his generation were playing with action figures, it was imagination being unlocked by seeing the creator's imagination on screen. It was taking that Boba Fett action figure in your hand and going, I am so compelled by this person, but I know next to nothing about this character in my hand. What can I dream? It's the farthest thing from nostalgia or immaturity to me. It's, I love what I saw on screen. How can I be part of it? How can I add my creativity to it? I think the, the, the fantastic and the bizarre encourages others to dream fantastic and bizarre. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that one. I, I love this point. It's almost even <clears throat> a forgotten point and forgotten side of it all of how Star Wars or anything like this. Eh, Lord of the Rings is another example of something that was decades upon decades and has influenced a lot of people in a lot of different areas. I think for you and me, you remi- you're even reminding me of not just the times I play with my action figures. And I'll put a pin in that statement there. <laughs> but um, me, what, this this caused me to get out pen and paper and probably pens, probably a mechanical pencil with a weird topper <laughs> with the 80s after all, and write my own stories that were horrible. But it was the first time I said, I used to say, I want to be like George Lucas. I guess now it just means I eat it in food courts and, and wear comfortable clothing. But then it was something <laughs> different. And, and, and putting my eyes at, ideas out in the world. And what that means, uh, I was the kid, uh, and I'm not alone in this. This is why this is so powerful. But I was, you know, the kid who had all the space Lego sets but also had character names for them and had ongoing plots <laughs> and serialized my adventures after school every day to the point where it probably drove some of my, my kids crazy. And I'm not alone in that. But on the flip side, it's the people that go into science. And Star Trek definitely inspires that, maybe more and one more directly. But there's a lot of Star Wars, a lot of wonder. And 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 there's room to interpret these stories and 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 room to grow them. And and the action figure thing, when yes, taken out of context, I get what people mean by that but it's i also don't i also really don't i struggle with ah, it's just playing with your action figures because it implies that there's nothing of value in those stories or that there was nothing of value in what we were doing as kids <laughs> you know uh, and the stories we were building and the lessons we were learning and what we're infusing into it i i see it as fun i understand the nostalgia trap Star Wars is based in nostalgia. You and I have discussed that, the old and the new. Uh, I've talked to my friends who were 20 when New Hope came out 
And I've asked my friend Dan Dan Farron directly. So what, when you saw the, that serial footage, the the, the Flash Gordon-like thing, uh, the crawl, what, what did that do to you? Because I know you were a fan. He goes, I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. Hmm. So excited. Before even the Star Destroyer comes over, I was so excited. Like, oh my gosh, that's that thing. And that's not a bad thing because my friend Dan and many others aren't staying there in this forever uh, uh, locked youth. Uh, it, it's taking what's there and applying new things to it and telling new stories. And I just... So I, I don't even have the energy to fight it back. I just, I just, I, I, I just, I, I love what you're saying about the imagination side of it and connecting because that's where a lot of our own ideas are formed, not just creative storytelling, but who we are. What stories are we telling with those figures? Uh, who's winning in these stories? Uh, I don't know. It all spills out of it and it is part of the fun. And then the flip side of this, the imagination side is watching um, the light and magic doc and seeing a bunch of crazy kind of sort of hippies or former hippies on motorcycles <laughs> with mustaches and leather uh, leather bands around their arms like my dad had in a room in a Van Nuys uh, airport adjacent uh, warehouse just going wild with there's no boundaries on what you can create. We just mm-hmm. how much we can do it. And that's part of the magic of this as well. And that's present in everything. And by the way, I think a quick Andor note, I think Andor is very timely because I think it is speaking, and this is maybe where it can get convoluted, but it's speaking to those who just kind of put the action figures on the shelf and said there's no value in that and moved on decades ago. And I think Andor needed to grab them by the lapels and say Star Wars has a lot to say. Here Mm -hmm. it is in its bare form. I think that's one of the big victories of Andor. Uh, But... Don't leave that imagination behind. Don't leave the imagination that you had as, as a child, I guess. Yeah, no. And, and I think um, I'm sure we all had different experiences with our action figures. But, you know, I've told stories here like I definitely just had them, you know, ignite their their not well rendered uh, plastic lightsabers at the time back in the 80s mm-hmm. and in fight. Uh, sometimes my brother and I uh, would would set up all of our cantina creatures and we would have a blaster fight across the room with rubber bands. Uh, <laughs> it uh, mm-hmm. it shocks my heart now to think of uh, shooting a classic Kenner action figure with a rubber band. It definitely had like just imaginative play excitement. But I also, the first thing I did with my Ben Kenobi action figures, try to have Luke Skywalker rescue him from death and had a conversation about my mom with my mom about what death is. Yeah. Uh, it's a joke, but, you know, I... I Han Solo was frozen in carbonite, and so I had my cloud car pilot uh, try to see if he could date Leia and had Leia turn him down. <laughs> I was playing, I was working through real things with those action figures as well, you know? So, like, yeah. I, I think when, I, I totally get what people are saying, mm-hmm. and or is, is, it is so grounded, it is so real, it is so into the depth of the characters, and it has so much value, but when people are like, mm, just action figure Star Wars versus, you know, gritty Star Wars. Like, well, you know, uh, I, I, I might have played Desmond Mothma, uh, you know, allow her daughter to be married at a disturbingly young age. I might have played that with my action figures. Maybe you wouldn't, but I did. Okay. This, this is because like, your cloud star, cloud car, or pilot story comes up for an hour then. And it's one of my favorite things, right? That that this guy just was so bummed that that swashbuckling buckling solo got the princess. I love it. I, I, I collected G.I. Joe a lot, like a lot of folks too, and, and played those like crazy. And I had an ongoing storyline because in the comics, Destro and the Baroness were in love, right? Okay. I, I had an ongoing story 
story that Destro was caught cheating on the Baroness with Zorana, Zartan's sister. I'm <laughs> nine. Like, I don't even know what it is mean. So stop acting like, uh, again, I don't understand what it means, but stop acting like playing with the action figures is only bashing them against walls and putting firecrackers to them. <laughs> like yeah. an ongoing storyline of, of Baroness and Destro working, at, working all this out. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I, I get the tension that I think we're talking about is uh, if Star Wars is fresh and exciting, then there's a fear of leaning too into staying, you know, yeah. with the Star Wars that you first knew. And I think that's what, what people are talking about with the action figures. I just don't think that's what's what's happening, which is maybe a taste, uh, an opinion thing. Um, final kind of big picture point uh, that I wanted to to share and ask you about, Ken, about why mm -hmm. the fantastic is important to Star Wars is I think there's this huge theme that runs through so much of star wars that everyone matters um mm -hmm. it, it is explicit in some stories the the realization that the naboo don't think the gungans are less than them uh the victory on endor because the empire does not see how a bunch of uh teddy bears <laughs> mm -hmm. uh with natural weaponry uh could be frightening the first broadcast episode of the Clone Wars where Yoda takes time to tell the clones they are not cannon fodder. They are all unique beings in the Force. You can find it a million different places in a million different ways. And even when Star Wars kind of missteps uh, mm -hmm. uh, in others, somebody the way that the Tuscans had been. Look at all the great storytelling we've had coming around saying, nope, nope, it always mattered. Everyone matters. And let's mm -hmm. if somebody's been overlooked in Star Wars, or treated poorly, let's go back and let's give them perspective. Let's give mm -hmm. them agency because everyone matters. Mm -hmm. um, I think the fantastic in Star Wars, the absolute deep, the, the profound being married to the absurd is a reminder that everyone in everything matters. I think the fantastic in Star Wars is, is kind of like Luke's relationship with Yoda on Dagobah in The Empire Strikes Back. As a fan, I want to be the Luke who who realizes, oh, wow, the little green frog guy is not less than the little green frog guy is exactly what I'm looking for and has the wisdom that I absolutely need. The little green frog guy is not an annoyance to be endured. <laughs> uh, he's the point because everyone matters. Don't judge people by the service. Don't judge genre by the surface. Look for the ideas underneath the same way uh, Luke looked with uh, with more mature eyes and saw Yoda for what he truly is. Uh, it's, it's a great example to kind of summarize and put it all into a nice little bowl of root leaf stew. Uh, it's <laughs> absolutely the truth. And Luke's face when he realizes his mistake is, is timeless and priceless and full of important lessons. I, I don't think it's small. Uh, like Yoda, I think it, I think it's important. I think it's the purpose, and I think it was why I, I think Star Wars works continues to work. Uh, following New Hope because of that, they put all this hope on a puppet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that's fascinating, just from a real world perspective. But it was also it was also needed. I'm looking for a great warrior. Found him, you have like that's amazing. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, Yoda is he's imagination. He is. Silly, he's bonkers, he's audacious, he's creative, right? Uh, and, and all in support of being like the pillar of some of the big ideas of Star Wars. It's yeah. really, really meaningful to me. Uh, so 
we've talked a lot about uh, why we value the fantastic, uh, but I want to get to something that I think I, I know you've wrestled with. I think many fans have. Are there ever parts of Star Wars that are so fantasy or fantastic based uh, that you have a hard time taking the story around them seriously? Yeah, there, there's a, there's a list. It's interesting too, uh, you know, for center 2015, I, I, I might've been, I always say I'm, I'm one turn away from being an angry YouTube car guy. Uh, thankfully I'm not. Um, but back then there was just kind of what you did and you found the negative first uh, not just because it got you clicks, because that was more fun. I think you could dry, derive comedy from going, this sucks, and let me make fun of it. And I think mm-hmm. even when we started Force Center, I was, I was emerging from that kind of discussion world. And so, therefore, I, I butted up against a lot of things and would cite a lot of things. I think I would have been like, Andor is the only kind. I, so I think I kind of get some of the, the conversation around it, but then just want to yank people through to the other side. Not saying uh, my journey is the only journey. That's something we preach against here as well. But to this list here, I, I start with some of the things that I've mentioned over and over again. Mieber Gascon, D-Squad, the Sunny Day in the Void episode of Clone Wars was my number one. How the hell is this in Star Wars while all this other stuff that's serious is happening, right? I couldn't comprehend it. Yeah. Uh, and then you, you and I on Clone Wars Rewatch, uh, I was looking forward to get to that because I just had a sense. I'd probably see it again for the first time. Wow, did I ever. But I was held up by that. It's a frog guy. And he's size, he's not even like... On a Mon Calamari, a human-sized squid, or you know, no, and he's doing pretty broad comedy, right? Yes, For a lot of it. The comedy has meaning, but on the surface, he's he's just doing the oh, the, 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 this guy's an idiot jokes. Yeah, and, and the wonderful Stephen Stanton doing a arm oh, of frog voice, and, and it's wonderful. <laughs> but back then, it just was like you know, couldn't believe it. And then you know, my reviews of early reviews of Star Wars Rebels, space whales puffer pigs and if it seems like i'm picking on animation because i think animation is more easily untethered from the docks of reality and it mm-hmm. can push star wars further into that fantastical realm and so it gave me the excuse to say well this isn't for me and this is silly and you're wasting land i want a pig that puffs by the way that's still not necessarily one of my favorite things but i own a puffer pig and thank you to the star wars force center fan i can't remember who mailed me that because every time I squeeze it, it makes a puffer pig sound, and I laugh. <laughs> and I connect with it different. Uh, and again, none of this has to be for you. That's totally fine. But returning mm-hmm. to those episodes now and meeting them where they want to live, where the themes are, and digging into those themes, I discovered that there is value not just for others, but there is a value for me, a thematic connection between this and the rest of the saga. And, and, and again, more importantly, others. And the big test in this we're going to mention him at some point. You mentioned the Gungus and the Boo, but the big test is Jar Jar Binks. Uh, absolutely the big dividing line, I think, for a lot of folks. And that was me mm-hmm. in 99. You and I have talked, and you squeeze me. We'll never be our favorite lines. Uh, but man, to now go back and see the great value in it, because I started to understand what he meant, not just for younger people, but for others. And this is all in reverse, by the way, because maybe Rogue One and, and Andor are too grounded for some of you out there. Maybe you do want Aki Aki dancing and more pulp. And more zip. I, I've talked to a lot of Star Wars fans, but someone needs to see Star Wars like that, Rogue One and Andor. Someone needs to see mm-hmm. that right now and be moved by that. And so this is why they can all live in harmony. Yeah, no, I, I love what you're saying. And and I think I'd never want to take taste away from it or age, mm-hmm. right? Like I've yeah. come to really love Jar Jar. Jar Jar didn't land for me in 1999 because he because some of his humor is specifically like, hey, have you never seen a, a funny guy trip around because you're that young? Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> and like, 
I had seen that. Um, you know, stepping in poo poo is, you know, is not the uh, the height of humor to me. But I l- love what you're saying is that people Star Wars is weird and complex in that it has everything from very silly, very broad jokes to like the most serious. How do we give in to fear as a society and throw our own freedom away? And, and what are we willing to do to get it back? What horrible sacrifices do we have to make to get that freedom back? It can be everything in between those. It is everything in between those and sometimes at the same time. And I love what you're saying about depending on where you are mm-hmm. in your journey as a human, even regardless of age, like what what part of the, the Star Wars stew do you need to be the prominent ingredient to draw you in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think there's taste things. I think there's sort of like um, maturity things uh, in, in terms for myself. Like um, I was really racking my brain for something so bizarre, so fantastic that I have a hard time taking the rest of the story seriously. Mm. And I think in terms of just like I've never been uh, phased by names like Phasma or Attack the Clones. I mm. love those because they come from. The, the the exciting roots of Star Wars, of the adventure serial and the pulp and the the fantastic and, and all that stuff at the time was meant to be thrilling and bright and lurid to try to draw you in and go, what is that? What does that mean? Uh, so the fantastic, I think, never bumps for me. I understand like how it can be like if it really seems like, oh, we're just doing we're just doing wizards and warlocks and mm-hmm. little hobbit guys again. Oh, oh, OK, I can understand how that can be a barrier for people looking for the the bigger idea. But the mm-hmm. fantastic never bumps for me when mm-hmm. I really look at what bumps for me. Sometimes it's just sometimes if it's the humor is a little bit more directed at a at a younger age. I, you know, I can I've been rewatching Rebels and I'm just really enjoying so much about it. It's not all the humors for me because it's directed at a slightly younger age. Fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I bump is, is actually when we move away, uh, from the fantastic and get into a kind of too real world, um, Mm -hmm. like, uh, Foden bead, I was going to say like, ah, Foden bead, the announcers in the, uh, Mm -hmm. in the, uh, at the pod race, that's where it gets too fantastic. No, no, it's, it's not too fantastic at all. It's like, they sound too much like real world (laughs) announcers and they're making, you know, in our universe type jokes. Like, I don't care what universe you're from. That's got to hurt. Um, yeah. yeah. I was like, uh, Vader's dad joke. That's in, in rogue one. That, that one never lands for me. And I have reasons why I've enumerated in the past. I can enumerate again in the future, Mm -hmm. but I realized like, yeah, but that's, that's the exact opposite. It's because it's too real world. Mm -hmm. Um, I love all the real world emotion in Star Wars. I love all the real world awful choices and and conflicts that people are facing in Andor. Eh, Tim Carlos socks. Yeah, I, I could have used like maybe a little electric line running up them. Give me something. <laughs> Give me something to make them fantasy. Uh, yeah. Does he have little creatures that hold up his socks? That'd be that'd be even better for me. Uh, so I don't think I ever struggle with the fantastic. I love it so much. It's in fact when Star Wars on the surface, not in the emotional reality, but in the sort of surface, the world building gets a little too real world. That's what bumps for me rather than the fantastic. It's it's weird because, you know, I I was infamously uh, not impressed with the name Captain Phasma at first, by the way, it doesn't even phase me now, but back then, uh, and I was one of the, in 2002, attack the clones. What is this going to be? 50 sci-fi? And the answer is yes. And I think sometimes, (laughs) The those names or those moments. And again, I'm not saying that anyone out there has to absolutely love the character of Mieber Gascon. I'm not saying no. that. 
Um, but I think of some of those moments, you might be reminded that what you're investing in maybe isn't what you think and you recalibrate from there. And either maybe this is the dividing line of maybe you leave it in the past, uh, you know, because putting your toys on the shelf up is something you and I always talk about. I think it's fine if you do. Uh, there's, there's, it's, you know, it's okay. Um, but um, for an entire generation, we were, it was demanded of us. Put your imagination on the shelf. Get to work, kid. You Learn work. about mortgages. Yeah. yeah. Work starts at nine. You better be there. Uh, which again, totally fine. But you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Where it's like, I think you know, Attack the Clones, that name comes out. And I'm, and I literally was just, I didn't have a podcast then, but I was just like, what is this going to be 50 sci fi? And the answer is absolutely to its core. <laughs> That's what this is about. And, and you and I, in analyzing even, uh, you know, uh, Dexter Jetster and his wonderful diner. Uh, your great point that it literally starts with nostalgia, the comfort of it. And that's why K Kenobi seeks it out and it becomes more powerful. And it's like, and then I still got folks who are like, what? But it's a 50s diner. And it's like, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. it is. Ask yourself why. Uh, as well as just being into, it's kind of cheeky and I'm okay with the cheeky. Uh, and I think back at certain points in my life, I haven't been. And that's why those things bump and, and it's a, it's a good litmus test and, and it, it, there's no failing the test. There's just, you find out what you truly like. Yeah, no, no. Dexter is an everyone matters point in, in star Wars and it ties to, to noir that where the detectives who really knew the city knew the right people to ask who actually know what's going on. The people that they, that everybody else thinks is less than and, and couldn't possibly have important knowledge, like some greasy spoon diner owner, mm -hmm. you know, it, yeah. that that's powerful to me and I, I love what you're saying about the Mieber Gascon arc I just think there's it, maybe maybe the surface isn't for you maybe it's too broad maybe it's he's too fantastic you know uh, mm -hmm. maybe it's it's too much droid squawking <laughs> for you but which is fine those are things are taste based but yeah. if you want an idea I, I've had a a quote from uh from that arc uh like on the top of my little everyday uh, to-do notes that I make every day of what I got, what do I have to do today? Uh, there's a lot, a large part of that is that arc is about Mieber talking big, but being full of fear. And it's a great R2 arc where R2 is just like, nope, just plow forward. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. And there's a, that tension where Mieber just wants to stay at this crash ship when they're in this terrifying void. And R2 accepts like, well, it, we're just going to rot and die if we stay in the ship. We have to go, uh, as terrifying as it is, we have to go explore the empty void. And then they come across a ship where the people didn't leave and their rotted corpses in there. And R2 beeps at Mieber, this is what happens when you stay on the ship. <laughs> and and I, 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 we discussed this last year on Clone Wars Report, but in hearing you discuss it right now, what, what is R2 saying? He's saying, Mieber, don't you want to give yourself to something more? <laughs> <laughs> he's calling Luthen. He's yeah, calling Luthen, people. You're gonna die either way. You 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 can die here at the ship, or you can die making a difference. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Luthen and R2 would get along. Gangbusters. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe Luthen is quoting R2 is the right way to say that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're getting uh, lost discussing what we love about specific uh, episodes and specific fantastic things. Uh, you're talking about with Attack the Clones. It's the reason I liked it from the beginning. I I, I mm -hmm. like all these genres that Star Wars. Uh, pulls from and I think in, in people's minds sometimes Star Wars becomes its own genre and it becomes what what it means to them and and I think people can kind of lose sight of the actual history uh, yeah. of what Star Wars 
is pulling from. It pulls from so many genres, and I think it tries to put them through the Star Wars filter. Uh, but mm. we're talking about like Western films, samurai films, the classic sword and sorcery fantasy, uh, science fi- futuristic and dystopian science fiction, mm-hmm. a kaiju, big monsters, a grounded political thriller, and gangster movies with a lot of Jabba stuff and Han stuff. Um, Cosmic, almost Lovecraftian horror with some of the beasts you encounter. Borgullet is, uh, you know, practically a, a spawn of an old one. Uh, got Roman gladiator arena type stuff going on in, in Attack of the Clones. Film noir, you got uh, Han and Leia and lots of other characters. Uh, uh, Kanan and Hera having kind of these classic Hollywood romance vibe. Um, a ton of appreciation for uh silent and early film comedy duos you, you got some laurel and hardy stuff going on in the final episode of andor with the inexplicable hat switch <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh there's so many genres so what for you is the importance of star wars kind of being this genre stew this might be a, a, a simple more direct answer but it, my gut reaction to this is if one number one i just honestly honestly think it's part of the fun Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk about the imagination earlier. Uh, Zillow Beast Arc is another one that I think I, upon me revisiting it, uh, I, I got a little bit more because I've never been a, a monster kaiju f- fan, right? But then you you dig into just Godzilla itself and, and what it meant uh, for those films, what they were talking about. Um, the themes behind it are pretty powerful, right? And so to have Star Wars play with that, have someone like Filoni be like, yeah, I was influenced by that and I'm going to put it in the story so I can tell that same kind of story both in fun ways and profound ways, to a new generation. I just think it's part of the fun. It's part of George Temp- George's template. And I, I don't think George, George's template has to be copied beat for beat here mm-hmm. on out. I think that's part of what's going on, too. Uh, I think even George might say, yeah, don't follow my template too much because I didn't do it myself. Uh, <laughs> and I get that, and I get that. But I, I, also think Star- I also think Star Wars is its own genre now in a weird way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so weird. But and maybe this is reiter- reiterating what we said earlier, but I think just all these things, all these genres are just just different way, different ways for the Star Wars creators to dress up the art and, and different ways to deal with heavier thoughts and lessons. And they are all saying something. You talk about the noir of, of Attack of the Clones and looking into the history of it there. I, I think uh, of what noir films meant as well. I think it's important stuff. But at the end of the day, I, I love the discussions around it of people. Clown, oh, man, Solo's kind of like a Star Wars Western. Like mm-hmm. There's a lot of Star Wars Westerns in it, uh, it, it Westerns and Star Wars. But uh, you're thinking of uh, the Jedi episode in, in uh, Mando. Uh, Filoni's, uh, uh, you know, the samurai influence, which popped mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, the 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 Maul Kenobi battle. I just think it's it's great ways to to use uh, previous genre, pre- previous styles of art, and throw it in the Star Wars world and connect with other people who maybe like me don't connect with some of that stuff. You know, I, I don't know how many uh, film noir films I've taken in my life. Not a lot. <laughs> studied it is in screenwriting played uh that la noir video game that's about as far as i got you know i kind of <laughs> like it i might do a mid-atlantic voice sometimes when i'm drunk or something but like the lessons in it are going to be lost on me it needs to come to me through star wars i think it's part mm. of the value yeah and i can see some people who are maybe like hardcore fans of specific genres even experts in them would be like oh, well it's uh, it's just the trappings of sure. noir you know and and like but that, but that is, uh, uh, I, I think it's more than the trappings. I think it is specific ideas of, of value, like Obi-Wan going to somebody who the rest of the Jedi would probably overlook and think of as, as less than, or many of the Jedi, if not all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there are deeper ideas there. But even if it is just the trappings, even if it is just a gateway to go like, hey, have you ever seen the actual original Japanese Godzilla film? 
<laughs> it's yeah. on HBO Max right now. Do you want to, if you saw the Zillabies arc and that moved you and you were intrigued by those ideas, why don't you go watch that? You know, if you want to go see, you know, if you're really enjoying Han's absolute resistance to being a part of the larger fight, maybe you want to watch Casablanca and to have and have not with Humphrey Bogart. Maybe you will discover you know, these things. I think it, I think it, one of the reasons it's powerful is exactly what you're saying is it's a, it's a gateway. Yeah. To like all sorts of different, uh, storytelling. Um, I think I value it because it's sort of a direct, honest reflection of what, what I think all creators do is we, we take influences around ourselves and we process them through our own perspective to create something new. And sometimes that's just literal, like, I had this family experience and I'm going to write a movie about it. Right. Or uh, other times it's like, I loved this kind, this genre of film when I was a kid. And now I want to write a book inspired by that and try to capture why it made me feel the way I I do, but it doesn't come across with, I think a creator with any skill as just a repeat. It's being processed through that person's experience, through that person's time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's what all creators do up to a point is build on everything that they loved and experienced And Star yeah. Wars is so direct in that of, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, of playing with those influences. I also just think for me, it, Star Wars is kind of a love letter to genre. It is sort of saying yeah. genre matters. Um, that great ILM documentary, you know, when they are going through all of these, these different creators who, ended up doing a lot of the effects of Star Wars and in revolutionizing the industry and opening up uh, people's imaginations with everything from Indiana Jones to Ghostbusters to, you know, helping with the abyss to, to Jurassic Park on and on and on. Look at the history of, of those, all those effects people and sound designers and visual designers when they were kids they all had like the, they were all spread out in this fan club that they didn't know they were in because they loved monster movies and they loved science fiction movies. And they were trying to make them in their backyard. Uh, Ben Burt's fan films are uh, hilarious. That, that Dennis Muren photo where he is a kid, he's this, you know, stereotypical fifties kid, leave it to beaver look being chased by a skeleton in a photo. He felt compelled to make (laughs) (laughs) because he he liked horror and and stop motion. It just, it, it is taking a sincere love of, of genre, of everything from pulps to old radio to classic films uh, that even though those genres at, at the time that they were being released were definitely being looked down on mm-hmm. as less than for the masses, for the kids, uh, there's something essential about them the way they reckon with uh, death and excitement, even sexuality. Uh, mm-hmm that speaks to, to people. Um, and I think that's, what's being, being tapped into is these genres aren't just trapping these different genres exist because they tap into specific emotions. They tap into specific ideas. And when Star Wars is successful at interpreting them into the galaxy far, far away, they evoke some of those same emotions that might have drawn people to a Western film or a samurai film or a kaiju film or on and on, or to just the banter of a, of a classic, uh, you know, uh, bickering couple. Those yeah. are specific emotions. Those are specific ideas and they have value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and we get caught up in the trapping. We get caught up in the ranking of what genre has more value. And I think star Wars gets us back to just, um, 
there is value here. There is emotion here. Let's just dive in. Yeah. Let's explore it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And it just, it was, yeah, you know, yes, when you're a kid, you're captured by it. I just remember always thinking, like, I had two choices as a kid. Star Wars or Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> oh, I had to watch and I remember seeing Kramer versus Kramer somehow. I don't know. I, I saw it home. I didn't see it in the theater. I don't, I don't remember. And I just remember like, I don't like this. <laughs> I'm going to go back to Wizards. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, look, I, I, I'm not going to say I, I like Kramer versus Kramer. It's a unsettling film. Uh, yeah. There are uh, plenty of, you know, just, you know, straightforward non-genre things that I absolutely love that are absolutely set in the real world. I just think there's there's room for for everything. Yes, there is room for everything. And and I think um, influences uh, that's maybe even a second podcast when I said like Star Wars mm-hmm. zone genre. I really do think seven, eight and nine wrestle with our lives being under this banner of Star Wars fans. I think that's mm-hmm. what I love about it. And and, and um, the way uh, you have led our conversation with The Last Jedi being a movie that, yeah, challenges it all and, and answers the question of, uh, yes, it still values, uh, it still has value and it's still important. I think that's that's interesting to see that play out. And I just think sometimes there's this negative connotation of being ah, it's too much like the past. It's too connected. That whole ah, eh, there's nothing new thing. And and eh, I don't know. That's um, I get some of it. Yeah, you know, Star Killer Base was a third big Death Star. Totally get that. Mm-hmm. Totally get it. There's an even trench run. Totally get it. But I think there's so much beyond it. And and again, Star Wars is just, it's its own genre, but it's still a collection of all the influences. And that's great. Yeah. No, I really love what you're saying. And 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 I understand. You know, I, I have heard people say, you know, the observation that Lucas, here's this list of other things that Lucas was inspired by. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them now considered utter classics, right? Um, yeah. uh, of their various genres. Uh, but for the Star Wars sequels, uh, what the creators were inspired by was Star Wars. And, and I think it's often said as a sort of like, and that is why they aren't good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's like, yep, maybe there is a risk of imitation, a risk of not being as fresh. Great, we can debate that. But I also think it's just so essential, like exactly what you're saying. Like, yes, that's explicitly not even the theme. It is the theme, but it's also explicitly just the plot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our main character lives in the the past, literally uh, in, yeah. in, in a, a, a field of the past. Uh, she thinks Luke Skywalker is a myth. Uh, it's, mm. uh, I think, in engaging with the sequel trilogy as an exploration of what is it to have this thing that was made of other genres become its own genre is a really rewarding way to look at them and and analyze it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We are doing some mini, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. For both generations too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The old and the new, yeah. So uh, we are doing some mini podcasts within our one podcast because we're <laughs> talking about issues we're passionate about. But we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to share some specifics of what we love in the more fantastic side of Star Wars. Back in a moment. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And we are back to continue our discussion about loving the fantastic side of Star Wars. We're going to talk some specific just favorites. Uh, We're not going to do all of the different genres and elements that make up Star Wars because we'd be here for 72 hours straight. But Ken, prioritizing, there is a lot of fantasy in Star Wars. So what's a favorite just straight up sword and sorcery fantasy element of Star Wars for you? Um, I said, I put a lot of things down at like specific moments to help maybe, uh, answer this for me there. But I, I think it is the, the, the fantasy element of, of, uh, that, that, that child of nowhere becoming uh, the hero, but that journey isn't what you, you think is this big giant sweeping one. But like you mentioned earlier, but like one of my absolute favorite moments, I mean, it's, it's up there if I want to sit down there and actually analyze it of, of, of how I'm, I'm uh, when I even think, not even watch it, but think about it, but Ray climbing the steps of October to find the wizard she didn't even think was real. And now she's part of the story is, is just still one of my favorite moments. And that's not the end of the journey. And there's still some obstacles and, and, and stuff there, but it ties into Luke. It ties not just simply into the hero's journey. And we're all familiar with that and, and the good parts of it and the bad parts of it and all this kind of, we can have those discussions, but I just think that it's a point of view into this story and you can attach so much to it. Uh, uh, you know, I am not maybe one-to-one supposed to be represented in the character of Ray, but at the same time, I absolutely am. And so are you all out there. 
Uh, she is for uh, a few and she is for many, as Luke was before. And others will be as the stories keep getting told. And so I just love that. That's just a literal, the stairs, the music, the steps, the mention, the moment you and I love earlier of Luke Skywalker. I thought it was a, like, and here it is. It's all real. That's just a big fantasy element for me that I love. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, and I think that ties to kind of some straightforward, uh, famous fantasy stuff. You know, uh, mm -hmm. obviously fantasy can be defined a lot of ways, but a lot of our kind of modern fantasy is just, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings is kind of ground zero, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Ray wrestling in The Last Jedi of like trying to figure out her place in the story, trying to go like, is there anyone else I could hand this uh, lightsaber yeah. that symbolizes hope to? I mean, that that's kind of right there with Frodo going, I wish this did not have to happen in my time. Right. And yeah. And being like, I know I have to bear this ring, but I wish somebody else could. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is that sort of um, that this very epic, very fantastic version of this real life thing of growing up. Mm -hmm. We are, the world is handed to us. We are told what it is by whoever's around us. Mm -hmm. And then we need to become a part of it. And maybe we need to become a, an important part of it. And maybe there isn't always, those other people who handle problems becoming an adult means that maybe you're the solution to a specific problem. Mm, uh, mm. I love it. Mm -hmm. mm, that's a tough one too. <laughs> it's real tough. I, I don't like it. I, there's many times where I'm like, I'm with you, uh, Frodo. I'm with you, Ray. In the early part, does somebody else want this? <laughs> when you look around you realize there's no backup, you the backup. I thought a lightsaber was cool, but it's responsibility. Can I hand this to someone else? Yeah. 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 Absolutely love that. Um, uh, for me, one of the just kind of visual uh, things that is fantastic that I know uh, I've talked to some friends who are it's eh, not for them. Um, I love Vader's castle. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. That is something that, you know, I guess the whole the whole sword and sword and sorcery fantasy element, you know, should start with it. Yeah, the lightsabers and the force. Right. That's <laughs> mm -hmm. but that, that's like the absolute, you know, fundamental uh, Obi-Wan, you know, it, being the old wizard who tells Luke, actually, magic's real. And here's a cool sword. Uh, pretty, pretty sword and sorcery. Uh, but as Star Wars developed and kind of took on its own sort of balance between the science fiction and the technical and the spaceships mm -hmm. and the fantasy and Rogue One comes along and it's a little bit more gritty and grounded and all that. And in the middle of this gritty and grounded, here is something just straight up out of Brothers Grimm, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and I love Vader's castle because it is leaning into fantasy, right? The mm -hmm. the dark castle is sort of this, it's often where where the the bad guy lives and the bad guy is so explicitly bad that his house is scary. <laughs> his house looks like it wants to stab you, right? Like yeah. it's an impossible, imposing, awful tower. It's the, it, it is the, it, it's exciting. It's alluring. You want to get in there, but also you are terrified mm. of it. Mm. Um, so it, it, to me, represents something very deep. It represents Frodo's journey of like, I don't want to go there. But I have to because that's that's a symbol of of the what is the rot in the world? What is the evil in the world? What is the cruelty mm. in, in the control and the tyranny in the world? And I have to go into that and face it. So it's got this depth. But then I also just do love that it's it's blatant. It is not mm. subtle. It is <laughs> it's uh, Vader's brooding, angry, stabby monolith 
to sit over lava and look at the place where he got burned. It's there's nothing subtle about it. it and I yeah. and I love it. Like he shouldn't live in a mid-century modern house in Palm Springs. He should he should live in the angriest building possible. Yeah. I love that it's a lair. I think that I, I'm with you on this element of just because uh, you, you talk. I just been watching a lot of not just the Rings of Power TV show, but like doing my annual holiday rewatch of, of the Lord of the Rings films, uh, which I love so much. But it's just like, yeah, it ain't. You look off of the Mordor and you're like, oh, that ain't subtle. And you look no. at Mustafar, you look at Exegol, you look at these places. I love these belly of the beast moments and, and how, it, 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 you know, to, even to get there, I got across a place called the Dead Marshes, not the Fields <laughs> of Joy. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it's yeah. really part of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's a great, just, I think, more modern. And, and, and to me, I love it even more for being in the middle of more grounded, gritty Rogue One. And in the middle of it, there's still an yeah. evil wizard in a dark castle. I yeah. love that stuff aesthetically. And I love the meaning that is that is there if you want to dig for it. Yeah. I, and, and, and I don't think you need to dig too hard. <laughs> no, no, it's part of the fun. Uh, do you have more uh, sword and sorcery fantasy thoughts before yeah. we move on? Yeah, a couple, a couple, if I may. But yeah, I was trying to think one of my uh, favorite recent ones. I was, I was trying to like go into what that means. And and I love the Mandalorian meeting Grogu, right? And and, mm. and, and I was trying to analyze the big why of that. And, and it's a great plot point and Dave's famous sketch that he put out there. But it's such a, it's such a whimsy meets grounded. It's such a fantasy meets sci-fi. You got this... Mm armored warrior uh meeting the cutest thing in the world <laughs> in the galaxy. <laughs> it, it it is such a wonderful moment i love that that star wars does have a lot of that it does stop for the beauty uh even uh you know i don't know it's it's not necessarily the same but uh, or one to one but that's why i love the leia uh, staring out on crate for so many reasons for so many reasons including the decades of pain and loss but also it is in the middle of this this battle it is this weird world that you can't made assault and this it's just i love those kind of moments where where fantasy does run up against the realities of sci-fi and and mando mando just kind of being like well, what do we got here and finger going out to touch this uh this creature that needs help that's going to change him it, it's a hero's journey moment for sure but it's uh it's truly just a, a, a an important element to these kind of things everyone always at one point uh the warrior meets the cub yeah no and and i think you know, we'll see what the what the fan discussion is like and in, in the casual fan discussion is like when Mandalorian season three comes out. But that's always been one of the things that I've loved the most about Mandalorian is it, it the the show is it it wears its heart on its sleeve. Right. It's it's not subtle. It's not buried. It's it's the core idea of what if cool armor guy meets in cute frog baby. Mm -hmm. uh, this is sort of absurd on its surface right but what is the what is the beating heart underneath it and to me the the absurd makes the profound more powerful and that's a great mm -hmm. example of it yeah yeah mm -hmm. uh, uh go ahead uh, i was i wasn't because i was like again i was listing moments to make me think of the elements and I, I i ended up putting down three or four confrontation moments which ties into what we're talking about being part of the journey that there ain't no backup sometimes it's you <laughs> confrontations might be uh the the adult world uh, finding you uh but I, luke giving himself up to go to confront vader and the emperor what that meant meant we did the scene by scene of their conversation on the on the uh the base there before he 
Vader takes him up to the Empire. But that, I thought of Ray and Finn going away, but knowing they have to turn around and this is the moment to confront Kylo, uh, a moment of destiny for Ray, a brave moment for Finn of connection and, and protection. Uh, Ahsoka and, and Vader and Rebels and, and confronting this hard truth that things, this thing she has to face that clearly still affects her going forward when we meet her again. But also, you and I both love and, and, and diving into it was such a value to me, but the Yoda confronting himself in the Clone Wars mm-hmm. uh, and learning uh, Qui-Gon giving him what he thinks is, a, you know, maybe a difficult lesson about how to live on. And it's really about going inside and, and how that's the final, often the final part, part of the journey, including I got to go in that castle. I got to go into that lava planet. I got to go into mortar and, and those kind of confrontation moments that are often selfless uh, and, and, and important for all those, all those big elements. And I, I love that that comes up so much in star Wars because it needs to. Yeah. I love that you're approaching this from, from the moment, uh, you know, as well as like uh, just like the, the images or, or you mm-hmm. know, uh, the tech or whatever. Um, I think a, a fantasy moment that you're making me think of is uh, Ray in the Rise of Skywalker and her encounter, her confrontation with the Vexus, the snake, yeah. uh, the serpent, right? Because that is a, one of those moments that's pretty directly fantasy. <laughs> Very adventure serial, right? Uh, they have uh, fallen into a sinking field. <laughs> <laughs> we always played that kind of thing as kids in the 80s, right? What if the ground sucked you up? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, then they're literally in a dark cavern filled with death and evil knives. And then a serpent appears, right? It, it's like, let's take every uh, metaphor for going down into a, sub, a subterranean uh, dark place. And what if you encounter the most evil thing you could find and it is going to get you? It's, the whole thing's a nightmare, a fantasy nightmare. And then Ray, everybody has the natural reaction. <laughs> a giant serpent in underground tunnel uh, mm-hmm. uh, in reality and as a metaphor. Terrifying. Kill it. Yeah. And Ray has this strength to see it as a, another being and another being that matters mm. in the way that tells us the audience that's who ray is yeah. you know it's at least who, who she's possible of being when she controls her her understandable anger that's who she is and then she spends the rest of the movie not seeing that version of herself you know mm. in, until until the time is right so it's, it's a great fantasy moment with great power mm. love it so let's move on then to uh the opposite in a way I don't know if opposite's correct. That's a fun. That'd be a fun thing to debate. Uh, are fantasy and science fiction opposite from one another? I think probably not. I'm going to disagree with myself. Anyway, uh, mini podcast within me asking one question. Mm. Here is the question, though, Ken. What is a favorite science fiction element of Star Wars? I think for me, again, looking at some of the moments that lead me to the element is is faraway worlds that are a little withdrawn, sterile. Um, there's great purpose, thematic purpose too. Uh, the prisons on Arkina 5, everyone's making the comparisons to THX-1138, as you should. I think that's the intention there in a lot of ways. But it's not just that, but it's it's like such a point to that and it's a world that maybe I can understand a little better, but it's so foreign to me. It's so weird. It's so different. You know, I, I don't, it, it's, so it, it's this, uh, it's sci-fi. This vision of the future is often what I think of sci-fi, right? Or here's what mm-hmm. a possible future could be. So it's th- that kind of stuff where it's still mystical, magical. Like I, a Camino comes to mind, like right, like this lost world essentially, right? And then you, you f- Kenobi finds it. And it's this ready, mysterious world where they're cloning people. That's science fiction to me, but it's this um, 
It's just these places your mind goes. Even arriving on Mandalore and the Clone Wars is so mm-hmm. sci-fi. It's a, it's a covered city on a barren wasteland of a, of a, of a planet. Uh, Cloud City is not unlike that for me, where your lonely cloud car pilot is over there waiting. Uh, Sunday in the <laughs> I think I go to that kind of stuff. Not to simply put sci-fi into Blade Runner, right? Uh, but that, that, that comparison gets made a lot. And, you know, I didn't love Blade Runner. It uh, wasn't, a, uh, you know, that was a weird Han Solo movie. I don't love that one. I don't, as a kid, that wasn't what I gravitated to. And some people do. Uh, my buddy Scott Mance, big Star Wars fan, but he's a Star Trek and Blade Runner fan first. I think that stuff speaks to him. And I think um, the sci-fi stuff, every time I think of it, the elements are these, these worlds I don't quite understand. Mm, yeah, no, I love that. I love that approach. I, and I, I think there's a balance of fantasy in science fiction. I think mm. that for me, for me, for my definition, the, the fantasy noun of Star Wars is it, it, that's more the underpinning. But mm-hmm. I think some of the brilliance of it is to kind of merge. Hey, if you like Star Trek and you like Lord of the Rings, what if they were kind of mashed together where this feels ancient and it literally happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? It, there's a storybook vibe. But within the storybook, uh, they have uh, spaceships and blasters that go pew, 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 (laughs) like your phasers. And sometimes the doors make noise, too, just like in Star Trek. You know, I think bringing that science fiction element into the fantasy element is was one of the huge, you know, uh, Mm. triumphs uh, of Star Wars. Um, So when I look at the science fiction elements, I I sometimes do just kind of look at the technology in in the surface. But I do think it's really interesting to look at look at those ideas, because, yeah, science fiction is almost always looking forward either to the possibility of a utopia, which Star Trek Mm -hmm. has elements of. uh, But then also it's become so popular, the dystopia of the the warning of where we could be heading, you know, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it is often connected to this was at some time real. This is a, a possible future of our world. Yeah. Um, whereas Star Wars is something that happened a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. But some of those just kind of science fiction elements that I love is uh, the holograms, you know, mm-hmm. uh, particularly just when one person is sending a message, the the little warbly sound effect when they come up, the, uh, <laughs> the glitches, you know, in no matter how many times i see that sort of a shimmering blue person with that warbly uh science fiction tech noise it never gets old it always has uh a magic to me because mm. i think it's one of the things we always look forward at in science fiction is uh some of the huge ad- the, the advancements that truly change us are, are um sometimes you know technical power based but a lot of times it's communication based yeah. so science fiction having such a history in what is communication going to look like in the future and how might it change the mm. way we can communicate? You know, uh, I think that's such a science fiction element. It's not just the tech. It's that sort of fascination with uh, what is the future of communication look like? Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. Cause even, um, even a couple of times just in, in Andor, this, this is grounded, like they have to adhere to that. Right. You know, uh, but the, it, it, it's still star Wars. So the hologram uh, Marv at the end, it's uh it was a, it was a wonderful use of this tech. We've just kind of become so used to, I guess, and it's so a few steps away from reality. It would seem. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, and we, we were catching up with so much science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. hilarious at this point. Our our phones being so much smaller than the communicators on Star Trek, and like you just <laughs> use those for communicating and nothing else. <laughs> okay. Uh, the the droids, right? Uh, the robots, right? The robots used to be kind of pretty firmly science fiction, right? Frodo's not encountering any protocol droids. Um, 
it, so I, I think that just that whole element of the droids starting off is kind of their the the perspective characters mm-hmm. in a new hope as we've talked about a bunch uh but then kind of going on to like uh, okay, they develop personalities. Okay, maybe a lot of our main heroes have been quite dismissive <laughs> yes, <laughs> to their individuality. That's really getting into some, it, it, it's fun and, and cool and, and they're fascinating, um, but on just an aesthetic science fiction level, but it's also getting into these science fiction ideas of what is the moral responsibility of artificial intelligence. Mm. Uh, yeah, or or cloning. <laughs> Or cloning. Yeah, that's a pretty big one. That's a pretty big one. Uh, Final one for me is hyperspace, right? Like, uh, especially in the first film, right? It's a a lot like going to warp speed Mm -hmm. uh, in Star Trek at at first glance, at first blush of how are you going to travel across these vast, vast, empty uh, regions of space to get from point A to point B as fast as the narrative needs. Um, but then as it develops, it also becomes a little fantasy of like, yes, yeah, hyperspace. It's a uh, technology based. You need numbers to compute it. Uh, you need uh, people to go out and be pioneers and discover it and figure out how it works. Also, none of us know what it is. <laughs> yeah, but the it's another do. dimension. The whales do. The whales <laughs> organically, the pergles organically know what it is. But the rest of us like real handy. Mm-hmm. Is this another dimension? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is this the afterlife? What are we flying through? You know, I'd love that, that you can be so far advanced in technology. Like mm-hmm. uh, we have on tap powers that we have no idea what their actual meaning is. We know what their function is, but we don't know what they truly are. Yeah. I I, I kind of love what you're making me think of just, I kind of love when Star Wars uh, collides with itself there and that in this wonderful fashion of, you know, hyperspace is both unexplainable and uh, that you can attempt to explain it. But I'm thinking about parts and ships, right? The, the mm-hmm. amount of like, well, we need a you know, hyperdrive motivator is gone. Give me, give me the, you know, the wrench there. Like, give, give me all, like, it, it's, it, it's so real, but it's so spacey. Like it's just uh, it tried to, it's like trying to tinker with the fantasy. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and in, in a way, I think that's the, you know, the things that can get this great uh, mashup of the utterly fantastic because it, it, with the very real, because, you know, writers for films and television show, I mean, the part's broken, need to shout out what it is. And mm-hmm. then you got people writing cross sections going, I'm going to make this work. <laughs> I'm going to make it work. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, any other thoughts on the science fiction before we move on? No, no, no. Let's uh, escape the prisons of science fiction. Yeah, now let's get weird. Let's get freakish. What's a favorite just kind of weird, freakish, uh, I can't believe I'm seeing this on screen, alien creature or world? Uh, I'll start here. We, we start a conversation here. Don't ever overlook Jabba's palace. I know Jennifer Landwell. I know you all. Don't ever overlook it. The cantina gets all the press. I get it. But I love that they came back in 83 and were like, let's do this again. Let's ramp it up as best we can. No special mm-hmm. here yet. We're going to go bigger. Jabba's palace is just wonderful and it's weird and it's freakish around every corner, whether it's warts or a monument or Gamorrean guards or big bulky pigs that will fight you. What's happening? <laughs> Don't, it's become, it's, it's, it's timeless. We're coming up on what, 40 years now. That's crazy. But, um, so again, it's that thing where I think it just becomes wallpaper, but it's bizarre in the most wonderful of ways. I, I, I'll start there, but also it's hard for me not to say Mortis. You were talking about worlds, like he, mm-hmm. I can focus on the worlds more than the creatures. I'll throw Borgullet in there as well as a creature, but but hard not to say Mortis for me because it's it it begs you to 
leave some answers. Uh, it, know, it knows you have questions, but it's gonna, it begs you to leave the answers at the door. Is this a, a real place, imagine place? Where's the time? Why does it, you know, <laughs> it's like world between worlds too. Uh, and, it's, and it's freakish. There's floating mountains and there's this angelic uh, creature leading you around or devilish brother, this wizard-like father. Turning into birds, <laughs> turning into birds, and and you're like, what is really happening here? And 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 it's like, shh, 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 you don't really know, you don't really know. Which is why another, I think another fantasy element I love too in Star Wars is the vision, right? Uh, crazy prophecies and stuff like that. And it, you need places like that to to have it maybe hit with even even more impact. And, and uh, those two those two worlds I go to all the time. Oh yeah, I like that. I, I, yeah, I like you, the visions, and I, I like how much the visual language uh, built up with that sort of rushing blur around the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's obviously there in, uh, in in the prequels, but then gets picked up a bunch in various animated shows. Um, that's I realize that there's a specific glass that I drink my water from in the morning. That if uh, if I stare at the bottom of the uh, glass, it looks like I'm having a, a Star Wars vision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just. You expect uh, uh, Obi Wan's face to appear in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just uh, yeah, just get a frightening premonition about you know how the podcast is going to go, things like that. Um, yeah, there's so much, there's so much weird, freakish uh, alien uh, creatures mm-hmm. in, in worlds that are just exciting and weird. Uh, a couple that jump out to me. You mentioned it because it's a real early one, and I think it's an early one that fired my imagination because it was when I was very young. I just accepted it; it's part of the story. And then as I got a little mm-hmm. older, it's like why is that there <laughs> mm-hmm. in a fun way, which is the Dianoga, right? We're on this technological terror, this sterile ball of death and doom, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they fall into the garbage compactor, which is all like, you know, approaching this adult, all like very practical. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, garbage has got to go somewhere. And Leia's smart enough to know the, the way the, the system's built and all that. Uh, but then within that, there is a thing living in there and it maybe wants Luke for something, but maybe decided to let him go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and just all you get of it, that tentacle and then the weird eye, just it, it fires your imagination. And writers have in various, you know, books and short stories have filled in, you know, yeah. some uh, some interesting takes on the Dianoga. But for me, the its value is just a, what is that and why is it there? Uh, mm. Just a absolute uh, uh, imagination fuel. I love the Dianoga is that. I just rewatched that scene this morning because I was trying to remember. I had one of those because I'm such bad with Star Wars quotes. It's like, who says something's alive in here? Is it, is it Luke first? Leia first? Like, and I just like, I, you know, thank you, Disney Plus. Let me rewatch. <laughs> um, and, and it is absolutely one of the first big moments of fantasy in Star Wars as a kid. Uh, you know, robots, all the stuff we're talking about. But yeah, you're 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 whiz banging along, and then there's a monster in the in the. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a it's a solid one. Um, I got to bring up one of my very favorites in a little bit more recent. Uh, and that is the singer from Star Wars, who I used to call Vat Weirdo before I knew his name. That I knew his name now is Lulilo Primuk. Um, just a great example of taking something from the real world, a jazzy lounge singing singer, and in particular a a duo of them and going great instead of just kind of having having a guy in a suit <laughs> uh how can we make this as alien and strange as possible and this sort of upside down froggy blob uh with a floating in a 
vat with a microphone that is somehow picking up beautiful, clear, dulcet tones, not warbly underwater merman from uh, He-Man tones, beautiful, deep, compelling tones. Uh, And it's just a background thing. It's just a, hey, this is normal in this fantastic world. So around every corner, there's something this weird and fun. That, That to me is the magic. I mean, I truly think Dryden's uh, yacht and party is is a wonderful mashup of genres served up as Star Wars. It, yeah. it hits a lot of it, you know. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Do Do you have uh, any more? I mean, I could, I could, I could list uh, uh, aliens along the way here. I, I will. Yeah, I'll just close and say, going back to Jabba's palace, but the Rancor terrified me. Mm-hmm. terrified me. And so I still go back to it as one of my favorites, which is why I needed and was moved by Danny Trejo's speech about the Rancor, both in fantasy and the real world. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the picture of Yoda, you know, tr- tr- everything that we get, we get the, the Rancor is, is mm-hmm. loyal, loyal friend. Uh, you help with Boba Fett riding him. We get a yeah. uh, misunderstood beast going on a rampage, uh, Kaiju King Kong stuff. And then we get the, it's, it's just another being who needs to be soothed. Do we get yeah. so much Rancor goodness in one episode of Book of Boba Fett? Yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. Uh, a couple of locations, you know, I can go on and on. I, I do love Camino that it is this, this ocean world constantly under a storm. Uh, it, but then the springing out of it is these cold technological things with 1950s space aliens in them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A great mashup of, of influences, you know? Mm. Um, but very recently, I think it's really firing my imagination because we don't yet know the name, uh, and it looks like a place out of a dream. I love Stabby Rock Fighting Moon in mm-hmm. Kenobi, where Kenobi and Vader have their their standoff. Um, yeah, or, or yeah, yeah. It, it's just it, it it just is like, hey, we can, we can have in the galaxy far far away any environment we want. So let's go to environments sometimes that really feel like what is happening here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a, it's a stabby rock emotion. So it's a stabby rock planet. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it is one of my favorite designs. And sometimes as I've been uh, somewhat uh, critical of stagecraft, the volume, I still, the potential is, is just wonderful. And that, that is a great example of it. If we, we can just go here and what's here. Don't worry about it. It's here. <laughs> Yeah, it just it, it evokes the like wonder of I want to know more because it so just looks like the the cover of like a paperback from the 70s that I'd find at a favorite yeah. used bookstore and go, I know nothing about this. I don't know what yeah. that planet is. <laughs> yeah, it makes me want to know more. Uh, last one for me, it's, it's a little less freakish, but it's a little bit more uh, fun building on the real world. You mentioned Mandalore. I, I love Mandalore. Um, yeah. I've got these uh postcards these fake star wars postcards that they sell at uh, galaxy's edge that say uh visit the domed cities <laughs> yeah yeah i love that they're domed cities and i love the idea that they took off in, in, visually in clone wars and just went with it of what if a whole planet just loved the hell out of picasso what if it just they're like cubism is so great we're even going to trim the plants that way <laughs> i love how all in they are on that aesthetic yeah that's amazing you have talked about your fear of the old rancor. Let's talk more fear and horror. What's a favorite sort of nightmarish horror fantastic element in Star Wars? I mean, the creature coming for you is a big one there. Started with the rancor, then, you know, not for nothing, but the wampa jumping out of Luke was another yeah. one that scared me. But uh, uh, the kind of the creatures you can't explain. I, I guess I'm going to, um, 
locations a lot today, but, 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 uh, you know, the opening of, of Rise of Skywalker is a little horror film from, for me. Um, but it also highlights that, uh, it's, it's the, uh, it's the nightmare at the end of the hallway, I guess, uh, you know, it, it's Palpatine returning in this case, I think Palpatine becoming the emperor in revenge of the Sith. I've told that story of kids behind me at the Cinerama dome screaming at the top of their lungs. being <laughs> <laughs> electric good, true horror. I think of mother Talzin as a, as a, just a, just a witch in star Wars is classic mm-hmm. horror kind of trope. I think of those, the, the, what goes bump in the night and it's the great big evil. And I think the Sith themselves are kind of even that, um, and I love that kind of angle of it there. The, the places going to the Exicles, going to the Mustafars, uh, as sci-fi and what we talked about earlier, but also the way the way they're just presented is is uh, is, is is nightmarish, and I love that. Yeah, no, I think those are absolutely great picks. I so love Exicol. Mm-hmm. I think it is blatantly designed to be yes. Let's lower ourselves down into the depths, the pit of the most awful thing that we have to face which is you know what ray does it, you know it's it's uh dangerous to get there it's dangerous mm-hmm. to be on the surface it's extra dangerous to descend uh mm-hmm. but then aesthetically the the lightning shooting up from this tortured planet that great echoing fingers on chalkboard sound is one of the best things but in terms of just pulling from genres i feel like what's great about exegol is <laughs> is it's just like hey what if uh what if a uh, mad Dr. Frankenstein's lab was in Mordor? Let's slap those two together. Cause it's, it's, you know, like early thirties, yeah. a mad scientist straight out of original Frankenstein yeah. with an unnatural half dead monster hanging there from a hook, but it's all in the, the dark fantasy land that you must go to confront <laughs> your darkest truth. Uh, just that lightning that you're right the lightning the sounds the statues the choice to make everything larger than life and, and dwarf everyone else uh, sliding in there I love that I just love it yeah so good so good uh, I love the horror so I could go on and on I, I so agree with you with the, with the Night Sisters um, kind mm-hmm. of all of them playing with this idea of of um, witches and, and I think you know I think there's more to be explored with the Night Sisters Everybody loves Marin from Jedi Fallen Order, and I'm right there with them on loving Marin. Um, but I, I do think it's having fun with kind of the aesthetic. It's mm-hmm. they're complicating the idea of Star Wars of what is their relationship to the dark side. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are tapping into it, but they're not going out and trying to conquer the galaxy. They're just living their lives as mm-hmm. uh, as far as uh, we get to see. Um, but 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 the way they are treated by Sidious, by Dooku, by the Sith, by like they can't exist, they can't have their power starts to tap into some really deep stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, about actual witch stories and feminine power and mm-hmm. like yeah. So there's all sorts of great stuff there. But then just on the surface, like Mother Talzin's great doubled voice and the mm-hmm. fact that she is using some level of magic just to make kind of the the bits of her cowl dress float constantly, yeah. like awesome. just that, like. Are, are you casting a spell constantly to do that? What's going on with that? Do you have fans in your dress? How are you doing that? Yeah. Yeah. This is why I love, this is why, I love, you know, in a world uh, in, in which um, Andor is running around having grounded adventures, Mother Talzin existed in it. Love it. Can you imagine Andor just crashing on uh, into the Night Sisters? Like, <laughs> come on. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, 
Final one for me, going back to one of the originals. Uh, I, I like the special edition change, but in, in a way, the original is even more frightening. It's the Sarlacc. You know, yeah, yeah. as a kid, you'd be like, cool, great, awesome. I was so, like you, I was so about that Luke flip, that Catch the Lightsaber is probably one of my, will mm-hmm. always be one of my top favorite moments in Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, but just appreciating the creativity of like, okay, well, it'd be kind of cool. We got it. We got to, um, we got to try to execute. Han, Luke, and yeah. Chewie, and then they get out of it, and it's this big hero moment, right? Okay. Uh, well, would it be fun? Well, it'd be kind of cool to have them walk the plank like old school pirates. Ah, but we're on a desert. What are they going to do? Fall into the sand? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we could have some stabby rocks. Like, no. Uh, what if there was a mouth in the desert? On the desert. And it's been, it's been, you know, developed. You can go see it at Galaxy's Edge. You can Google the cross section. You can see the mouth and the rest yeah. of the body and all that. And now we've got to see uh, visually Boba down in the guts of it. We're just really going back to 1983. Like, there are teeth in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so terrifying. Yeah, I think it's a little while I, I, I fought the, the Little Shop of Horrors version later on, the special editions, because I just was like, oh, that's, too, that's too much of an answer. <laughs> it's too yeah. much of an answer. <laughs> I'm fine with it now. And by the way, I think the Book of Boba Fett and it added to not only the the, the, the Starlick itself, but it has its own wonderful horror, horror sequence when, when they're there, him and mm-hmm. Fennec, uh, and, and he goes to, you know, get revenge on the monster in the desert. But it's that's a horror sequence I love. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, as we begin to to wind down here, just got a couple more uh, questions because we could be here all day. What's a favorite silly, maybe more outrageous, meant to be kind of comedic on the surface, absurd element of Star Wars that you love? So it's not necessarily the, like the creatures, but this the first moment I go to because it's it's and it's so funny because you you and I both have those moments where occasionally I'll I bump up to the real world humor or it's not even the, the 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 words but sometimes the cadence is very modern or you know squeeze me we always say how outrageous and silly is it that the ewoks are trying to cook han while they're whistling <laughs> it's bizarre it's so out there it's like it's one to say uh, the ewoks eat people got it got it they're happy and they're dancing and they're whistling a little work a day tune while han's trying to blow it out <laughs> that hit me as a kid if I was an adult, I probably would have been like, what is this? Uh, this isn't Star Wars to me. But as a kid, it, now it made it part of the template. It made it part yeah. of the template. Where I didn't question a lot of that stuff going forward. A little bit later on, again, you get a little older, maybe you lose touch with that. Uh, you know, some of the lines, uh, I don't have a problem with the big ass door, but there's, you know, the mm. boyfriend, cute boyfriend comes up a lot. It's Again, it's, it's not necessarily the words, it's how it's delivered. It's, it's of its time. But that is just, I, I kept looking at this question this morning. I'm like, what is, all right, yeah, I could go to Jar Jar moments. I could go to this and that. But I'm like, they whistled while they were cooking them. And that really brings up the point of, is it a part of the tradition? Because it seems to be uh, that's something that's kind of being directed by Logre, right? Yeah. Um, that you get the vibe they've done this before. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. is this something that is cultural or culinary that they don't try to slit Han's throat first. Like, better if you cook him alive. Is it is that cultural, or do they just feel human meat is better uh, when cooked alive? You want the blood coursing through the meat there, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, that is one of the, like, sillier jokes, right? Han mm-hmm. tries to blow out the torch, <laughs> but you scratch the silly, and you find some dark stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a great pick. Um, a couple of aliens jumped out at me. Um the uh 
the the two cantina creatures uh, spread across the 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 mist of time from a new hope to the Mandalorian, mm. who are just big big bugs. They're praying mantis type people. Uh, mm. The one from the original cantina scene is uh, the 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 the, cre- the creature's proper name is Kitakidkak. Uh, <laughs> again, another name. I feel like I maybe just did I say a swear word in the mm-hmm. process of saying that character's name? Maybe I did. Uh, Kitakidkak uh, was a female Yamri from the planet Hook. <laughs> oh, and then just leaning into it, that character that we meet in season two. Uh, well, I guess we see them first in season one, but spend some quality time with in Mandalorian season two, Dr. Mandible. Right. That That is Star Wars just going like, OK, well, we only had so much of a budget. Yeah. We the the vision wasn't Lucas had it, but it in the, in the amazing process, stressful process of making New Hope, maybe it wasn't entirely refined. So you got some amazing groundbreaking designs of aliens like mm. like Greedo and the Rodians, and then there's a there's a giant bug at the bar, <laughs> yeah. and Star Star Wars willingness to just embrace it, being like, yeah, sometimes aliens are kind of pig guys, you know, or bunny guys and sometimes it's just that that's a praying mantis <laughs> and again this this speaks to why for years i just was like uh jackson and then i love that short story to be like jackson going but why not me <laughs> brain mantis you have a squid or a shrimp running around fighting for the rebellion why not me a rabbit I, it, it was one of those ones i had no argument against because i've celebrated some of these other things yeah, no, I agree. And then and then for me, one of the other outrageous, silly elements is also an element that is combined with great depth and meaning. And I yeah. love the intersection in Star Wars. Um, I think the Sith are terrifying. The idea of how the Sith become the Sith and uh, the lies they tell themselves and the pain they go through and the horror of the, uh, you know, relationship mm-hmm. of the master and the apprentice and the rule of two, uh, all that stuff is deeply meaningful. It can be deeply scary but on, on this sort of surface level it's absolute fun uh fantasy with an amazing lack of subtlety right i mean just the fact that palpatine is just a, a wizened old old uh, dark wizard mm-hmm. uh but the element that that i take very seriously but also enjoy having fun with is the darth names yeah like yeah. Th- they can have individual meaning um but like Darth Tyrannus is with like for for Count Duke is both the cartoonish, but also the the history of Tyrannus kind of relates to his role as a count and mm-hmm. why he fell and all that. Um, but yeah, Sidious, uh, Maul, it's not a Darth name, but everybody loves uh, Savage Opress, or I, I should say loves to hate <laughs> yeah. the blatantness of the name Savage Opress. Uh, I remember conversations of people being like, we're going to learn where the name Darth Vader came from. And I love the way Palpatine's just like, you don't get a vote in this. I made a list of bleeping badass names, and this was next on the list. I W Darth Vader. Um, I know there, you know, I'm sure plenty of explorations of of the meaning. There's the whole sure. father thing, and whether that was intended or not, all that. Uh, but I'm just talking about just a surface level viewing of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, just. The uh, Vader's next on the list. I I love the idea that uh, that Sidious is planning this elaborate conquering of the galaxy manipulating people's fears and then he also just has a, a data pad where he's jotting down scary sounded names uh, yeah I, I i love this uh 
because yeah, it's the greatest henceforth in, in the history of the world. But <laughs> do you think this starts the troubled relationship between master and apprentice on the cis side? Where this isn't like you, you know, you got elected pope and you get to choose your papal name. No, this is like <laughs> your your master gets to choose it, and so you spend the whole time going, "Oh, I that wouldn't have been my name." And the 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 the, the divide begins early. Yeah, right. I mean, it is really about you. You know what you signed up for is this isn't about you having a lot of agency. You were assigned this name. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a it's a funny sketch to think of, a, a comedy sketch to think like Vader approaches him about, you know, 10 years into being a Sith Lord and be like, you know, I had a lot on my mind when you gave me that name. Uh, could I maybe consider what I would like to be called? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I was going to be Darth Gruesome. I was really, <laughs> really going with that one. Yeah. Too close to General Grievous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I, I think maybe it's a, a great summary of my taste and I recognize everybody has different taste. I love when the absolute depth of meaning, uh, I don't want anybody to take this, like I don't take the story of, of Palpatine and Vader and their relationship seriously. I don't take the name of Vader seriously. Vader is a name that rings out it has weight and meaning in the star wars galaxy the shadow of vader is everywhere in the, the sequel trilogy uh you know the vader has meaning in our uh real world i take it almost i, I take it very 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 seriously but then i also also want to be able to embrace it as uh, it has this this uh fantasy uh history to it that makes it fun and weird and fun to joke about and it can be both at the same time absolutely so look into the future, Ken, for our final question. What sort of new frontiers of fantastic or weird do you hope to see in Star Wars? Uh, you know, I I would love to see, um, I mean, I, it, there's so much that's been covered, but I I, I want to see kind of uh, a full-on adventure. We've had moments of Indiana Jones in Star Wars, um, including some stuff in Clone Wars with the Jar Jar stuff. Uh, with Mace in season six, elements of Revenge, uh, excuse me, Rise of Skywalker, but a full-on gallivanting, um, going around, getting uh, things you need, whether it was mysterious items, helping others along the way. And Afra's a character that has a lot of those elements, the archaeology side, archaeological mm -hmm. side. Um, but you know, maybe she needs to clean up her morals just a little bit. And I love that. I love that character, by the way. But you know, something like that—that's just full-on 1934 serial adventure to me and, and the elements mm -hmm. have been all the way through but you know what i mean like like just mm -hmm. give me that give me yeah that. no I, i'm right there with you i think that's mm -hmm. one of the things that i want is um i think maybe the imaginative and the fantastic of star wars can start to feel muted when we're always traveling with characters who uh they know this place already or they're mm -hmm. aware of this place mm -hmm. right and so it looks fantastic to us but it's it's not as fantastic as discovering it with the character yeah, yeah, And I think that's a little bit of the power of what you're talking about is uh, a lot of the power to me of, of fantasy, of uh, science fiction is is imagination. It's it's what else is out there, right? Mm -hmm. Frodo is going into parts of, of the world that he never imagined he'd see. Yeah. Uh, Kirk and Spock and Picard and, and now uh, Michael and the, the newest iterations of Star mm -hmm. Trek. They all want to know what's out there. What, what yeah. have they not encountered before? Yeah. So I would love to see in the the sort of Dr. Afra-esque explorer mm -hmm. um, tapping into Star Wars heroes encountering worlds and beings and philosophy that they did not know existed 
they don't fully understand just really tapping into that sense of adventure uh, of wonder of mystery and, and because it's star wars ultimately hopefully empathy at the end of the day yeah of, is bizarre and otherworldly as this is there's also something here that i can ultimately understand yeah and, and get from these these cultures and worlds too to, to make sure you know you don't flip too and too, too far to the savior tropes um mm -hmm. which along the way you know are, are you know they are what they are at times unfortunately but but yeah 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 we're just kind of uh, uh i love what you're saying about this exploration of what's actually there add a ticking ticking time bomb of a script writing clock to it of a kind <laughs> of adventure and make it to uh, give me that whiz bang and again all this stuff is in star wars and uh, that's one of the things i love about Basana. i'm like yeah you've got poe poe looks like he could be hanging out with indiana jones like yeah <laughs> i'm there for that i just love that character and i i got indiana jones movies to get that from and a fifth one on the way but uh, to have Star Wars, and it's not just straight up Indiana Jones, but it's it, it is that kind of um, you know Alan Quartermain and da, 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 like give me that. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, the final thing I'll say: one of my favorite beats in Empire Strikes Back is when Luke has his vision, mm -hmm. and he's talking to Yoda about what he saw. And he says, "I saw a city in the clouds." Mm -hmm. Like that's the spirit of like what else could be out there that I don't know that I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, I would love to keep capturing that feeling of, I saw a city in the clouds. Just yeah. great, exciting stuff to me. Indeed. And also I hope that uh, Andor absolutely does just straight up travel to Bespin. That'd be great. <laughs> and well, look, we still got to get Andor in front of Jabba. A lot of people want to get Diego at that moment. So Andor and Jabba in Bespin. <laughs> That's what we're calling for here on Force Center. Uh, any final thoughts from you, Ken? Uh, no, no. Been a ton of fun. Ton of fun. Yeah, it's been fun. We haven't uh, been doing as much of our kind of straightforward deep dive episodes like this because our deep dives have been into the mm. wonderful, wonderful uh, show that is Andor. So it's been fun to get back to them. That is it, though, Ken. Where can people find us? Hey, you can find us on Twitter at Force Center Pod, on Hive Social at Force Center. We are on Instagram and YouTube as well, as we said up top. Thanks to those who have subscribed. Uh, we'd uh, love to have you join us over there from time to time. New content coming on the way over there. Uh, Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. Podcast available on Acast, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more. Merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center and patreon.com slash Force Center is where you can support us directly. For me, you can go to my website, catnapsock.com. Information on all the things I do. I've got my book for sale right now. Personalized copies available directly from the website. Check the shop uh, category. Uh, you can get uh, other things to do like pop rock and radio, cast really talk and more. Uh, Joseph, where can they find and follow you? Yeah, you can find me on all the social media as at Joseph Scrimshaw. I am promoting Hive Social in particular. Uh, I love the functionality. I love the people who are there. Uh, so if you want to enjoy a little bit more joking around, a little bit more talking about uh, different people's artwork, celebrating things, that's what's going on right now at Hive Social. We'll see how long it lasts, but uh, mm -hmm. come find me there as at Joseph Scrimshaw. I am still on Twitter, also on Instagram, TikTok, all as at josephscrimshaw.com. You can also check out my YouTube page, while you are kindly subscribing to Force Center, of uh, please feel free to subscribe to my channel as well. It's listed at the bottom of the Force Center page. Uh, made a short film recently called Peace Fight. I've got some more short films that I'm working on, not literally as we speak, but as soon as we're done recording, got to get back to work on those. So uh, more coming. Thank you all for listening. So for myself, for Ken, for the Rancor in the Dianoga, this has been Force Center.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.